Do you seek the freedom to pursue greater meaning and purpose in your life? Is there something that you're passionate about that you'd like to support by giving time, talent, or money? Do you seek a level of financial freedom to live an ideal life as you uniquely define it? Welcome to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to helping you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier. My name is Mike Bernard, and I am your host. Thanks for being with us. Like Jeff, well, he and I are both a certified financial planner licensees. This show is all about helping you discover what matters most and helping you get your actions and resources together in alignment with those goals. We combine excellence in wealth management with the pursuit of meaning and purpose in your life. Jeff Bernier is the founder, president, and chief investment officer of Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, a wealth management firm in Alpharetta, Georgia, a suburb of the greater Atlanta area. Jeff, we're already in the fourth quarter. I can't believe it. Time flies, I guess, when you're Man, having fun. Really. Seems like we were just recording our first episode back in January. You know, it it, it really does in, in some ways, uh, and in some ways it feels like it was like ages ago, but um, <laughs> yeah, it it, uh, it it does seem like it's uh, we just started. Well, this is our 10th episode of the Money and Meaning Show. How do you feel about how it's going so far? Well, you know, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. Um, you know, I guess mainly because I began the project with very few expectations. <laughs> um, you know, Charlie Munger has a great quote that says, the secret to happiness is low expectations. <laughs> so I came into this with, with sort of with not really any expectation, and I just looked at the podcast as an opportunity to share some things that we've learned over the last 32 years in, in wealth management. And, of course, recently some things that I've learned about how to live a more intentional, meaningful life. And so, importantly, uh, it was really just trying to be a resource to people with what I hope is useful content and encouragement. And, of course, as an added bonus, I get to hang out with, <laughs> with you and your firm and, and collaborate with you guys. So it's been, it's been awesome. Thank you. Well, there's a higher purpose and there's a higher call to the show. We're not just talking about alpha and market performance and all of this is there is just a higher meaning so why do you save what's this all for and 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 you use the word that is just a buzzword for me and i, I think a lot of people who are searching for the 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 most important life and that is living intentionally right and so when it comes to your finances are you intentional with your finances about doing the prudent things that lead to long-term success but not just financial success life success right right yeah so what i I call return on life return on life that's right so it's a pleasure to be part of it and i i think uh i think it's been a great experiment so far so where are we heading today well you know as i begin thinking about things to talk about um for us to discuss month to month it's often related to something i'm presently working on or thinking about, and this month's topic is no exception. Uh, In the last few months um, at Tandem Growth, I've been working on our business continuity plan, um, which is just a a, a nice way of saying if I died Mm. or became disabled, what would happen uh, to the firm and to the people I care about? And just like we tell our clients, these are certainly not pleasant things to ponder. Uh, but to be responsible, we need to address these issues so that we can live life freely and enjoy the journey and be confident that the people we care about are, are well taken care of. But as it relates to our firm's business continuity planning, you know, the people we care about are obviously my family, our clients, and our staff. So there's more than one interest here when we're dealing with business continuity planning. 
Um, so the plans need to be in place to ensure that everybody is, is well taken care of. And like we tell our clients, we need to insure against things that can go wrong so we have the luxury of investing for things that we hope will go right. Mm-hmm. So in this process, I did decide to buy some additional life insurance okay. as I was going through this, this plan. And it got me to thinking back to our episode number three where we discussed the great goals of life. Yeah, you shared the six questions that you used to help people think about the depth and breadth of comprehensive pl- uh, planning and, and issues that should be addressed in the plan. I think you suggested that even you know each one of those questions could be a full show. That's right. Yeah, and and so maybe we will do that. But uh, but that's but that's what I like to talk about today is to basically take that first question and dig and dig a bit deeper. All right. So I know it's a I know it's a deep question, but what <laughs> it, what is remind us what's that first question? Yeah. So the first question was, do you know exactly what would happen to your family? If you died tonight, yeah, that is uncomfortable. Stops you in your tracks. Yes, it is. It is very uncomfortable. And and like I like I said, nobody really wants to sit around and talk about death. But like we also said, it's necessary to to address these things in order to live uh, with freedom and and not worry about about the people we love. And so again, as I was updating this business continuity plan, that's essentially what I was asking. Um, except I was asking in the context of not just my family, but again, as I mentioned, in terms of the team, the clients. So from a financial planning perspective, this is very emotional, but how, for our listeners, how do you address this? Well, again, addressing this issue really involves one of the six major areas of wealth management, um, which I call risk management. I think other firms call it protection planning. We call planning. it protection planning. Yeah. Same thing. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. So while risk management and protection planning can address a whole range of perils, things that can go wrong, that need to be uh, insured against or protected against, today I want to talk specifically about life insurance. So when you ask this big, bold question, it could involve broader things in terms of what would happen to your family. And so um, so are you focusing on the financial impact or the bigger picture? Yeah, today I just really want to focus on the financial impact. Okay. So, so today it's really about life insurance. And, you know, life insurance can be a confusing subject. And depending on past experiences with insurance or the incentives that insurance agents might have, it can also be a subject where people have really strong beliefs or philosophies. Yeah, I look forward to getting into that with you. So, okay, what are some of your underlying principles or beliefs in terms of life insurance? Yeah, so I, I guess I first of all need to remind the audience that I am not an insurance expert. Um, I'll also emphasize that as we build these risk management plans in the context of a comprehensive holistic wealth management plan, we want to uh, collaborate with high quality insurance professionals and uh, estate planning attorneys and so forth to bring the the technical expertise to the table if needed. Sure. But what we can do um, in conjunction with some of this other counsel perhaps is we can evaluate the risk, we can evaluate the amount of coverage that's needed, we can help evaluate who should own a policy, we can evaluate who the beneficiary should be, and also we can evaluate the type mm-hmm. of coverage. So in terms of principles, I normally just go back to the old financial planning pyramid that we, we learned very early in, in the career, where the bottom of the pyramid is, again, this protection planning or risk management planning, where you're evaluating the various perils, like, again, premature death, disability, your house burns down, you get sick, you get sued, just basic risk management planning. 
And so we're just not really serving our clients well if we don't address these things in the bottom of the pyramid. Yeah. Secondly, uh, I just think about these various risks or perils, and you, you generally have two options. You can either insure against the risk or you can absorb it or accept it, or I guess some combination of the two. Mm-hmm. So, you know, any risk that you can self-insure and not upset the financial plan were the risk to materialize, mm-hmm. uh, you know, self-insuring may be a rational thing to do in that case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's no reason to pay a premium to insure against something that you have the adequate capital to find. Yeah, I, I agree with, with all of that. What, what other foundational beliefs do you have around life insurance? Yeah, this is the part that's, that's probably evolved over time. Um, but today, at least in terms of a personal planning context, in other words, a non-business context, I believe um, primarily that life insurance plays one of three roles, or a combination, but these three primary purposes for life insurance. The first one is it's it's there to replace income in the event of death to survivors who depend on the insured's income. So okay. income replacement yep. provides income to replace uh, income for someone that, that passes away. The second purpose is it's a way to make a levered gift. And the third purpose is to provide liquidity to avoid selling non-liquid assets or to preserve a special or unique property for future generations. And so the first one is the one that we deal with the most often, which is replacing income. Yeah. Um, so if a client has not accumulated enough assets to provide the standard of living that's desired or to fund other goals like college for the family, life insurance is an effective way to close the gap until adequate assets have been accumulated. That's right. That's right. So in your practice, how do you determine how much life insurance is actually needed? Yeah. I, I, you know, I guess I was fortunate. Early in my career, um, this was the f- one of the early things that I learned or was, was taught. And I guess it was no coincidence that the firm that I worked with at the time was owned by an insurance company. <laughs> so obviously they wanted us to know how to do this type of uh, calculation. Um, and so while some people use rules of thumbs, I really believe that's not the best way to solve for how much insurance I, you need. I agree. I am, I'm actually pretty passionate about this, that a simple rule of thumb is not tailored to your specific situation if you believe in those three reasons that you mentioned. Bingo. Jeff. Yeah. E- exactly. So, so I believe really the best way to solve for the appropriate amount is to do what's called a capital needs analysis. And so this begins with asking some additional broader questions around your goals. So it's very similar to funding your normal financial planning goals. So things like, in the event of death, how much income will your spouse need? Would you want to pay off debt so the survivor is debt-free? Is there a desire to fund college uh, or other goals in the event of death? Uh, do you have any specific legacy goals that are important, et cetera? So what you would do is you would identify these future cash flow goals, and you would apply a reasonable inflation rate on those goals to determine these future cash flows that will be required during mm-hmm. during the survivor's life. And you could use different inflation rates for different expenses depending upon uh, inflation factors, for instance, education costs generally rise faster than general inflation in the economy, so you might use a different inflation rate for that. Uh, you could also reduce future needs if the house gets paid off in the future or children leave the home so you have less expense. But the point is you want to project out future expenses using these realistic inflation rates. And so once you have these future cash flow needs identified, you can then solve for the present value 
value of these cash flows at a reasonable discount rate? So I'm hearing a couple of things here. Number one, the, the, the phrase that I started the discussion with, which is being intentional. Being intentional about the life insurance that you're getting, the amount, and so on. But then second, that it's it's used to fund unfunded goals currently. Correct. And so in simple terms, what you're doing here is you're taking your lifetime goals and solving for the amount of money that you need to invest today at some discount rate, and that would be used to fund those goals. Exactly. So, so once you've got that present value of the future goals at a reasonable investment rate or discount rate that I'm using, then you take a look at the reasonable, re- the current available resources. So, you would have, you might have survivor pensions. You've got Social Security. Uh, the surviving spouse may earn income and work. Uh, you've got your current portfolio. Yep. You've got your current assets. You've got existing life insurance, uh, and you basically do the same thing. You just bring that income and resources back to present value to say, what is that worth in today's dollars? And essentially, the gap between the present value of the goals and the present value of the resources is essentially the funding gap. So a key component of this calculation is the discount rate. How do you come up with that rate? Yeah, so this is this is really important because the discount rate will have a huge influence on the amount of capital that's required. Yeah. And so I really believe the, the amount should be, the discount rate should be a conservative estimate of an expected long-term rate of return on a portfolio based on the spouse's ability to withstand market volatility. And you want to be a little bit conservative here, I would think. Uh, So, uh, because remember, what you're doing here, you're just solving for how much capital needs to be invested at a reasonable rate of return to to supplement the other other resources um, and and, and close that gap. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're getting pretty pretty deep here. <laughs> so uh, this sounds like a lot of calculations for the typical client. Yeah, it it, it is, and um, and um, it it, uh, it does require some understanding of time value of money. Um, but um, uh, but but there's a lot of software available today, mm-hmm. um, and there are a lot of tools that you can do this. There's other rules of thumb that you could use as well. But the, really, the art is determining the inflation rate to use and the rate of return to use. Got it. All right. So explain what you mean by by life insurance can be used as a levered gift. That was the second reason you stated there. So what does that mean? Yeah, so this is simply my way of saving, uh, saying that for a small certain premium, you can leave a significant amount of capital to a person or an, ender, uh, or an entity. So you're leveraging the premium. So for example, if you love the University of Georgia, and you would like just to throw it out, <laughs> just pulling out an institution randomly, of course. Random. <laughs> and you wanted to give them a million dollars at your death, you could do this with an annual premium that's a fraction of the million dollar gift. Of course, if you live a really long time, the amount of leverage goes down as your cumulative premiums grow because yeah. you paid more premium every year, you paid a new, a new premium, but it's still a levered gift. Mm-hmm. Got it. A third use of life insurance that you mentioned is to provide liquidity. With recent changes in estate tax laws, is this one getting more important or less important? Well, it's less important, uh, clearly. Um, used to be much more important. Mm-hmm. So, but at least for now, um, providing liquidity to pay estate taxes is not near as important. Under current law, 
uh, a married couple, as you know, have a combined estate tax exemption equivalent of just over $22 million. Just a, just a, a decade and a half ago, that was a, a million dollars. That's right. right? So, million, yeah. Exactly. So, so most people no longer have taxable estates, at least at the federal level. And so with the exemption amount was much lower, life insurance was an effective way to create liquidity to pay these taxes at a, at a big discount. And, and if done properly, it would be income and estate tax-free through the use of trust. For larger estates, those that are over $22 million, this is still a viable alternative. Sure. Life insurance owned by trust is still a viable alternative. So many people do have these old life insurance policies owned by trust that were established back when the laws were differently were different. And for those, it may still make sense to keep the contracts and keep them in trust. I think that's really a, a client-by-client decision. And certainly, a future Congress should certainly change the yeah. exemption amount, and, and it can still be used for that purpose. Other than to pay estate taxes, are there other instances where it'd be useful to have liquidity? Again, more answers to number three there. Yeah, th- th- there is, uh, particularly when you have illiquid assets that the family would like to retain or to keep uh, after your death, or if you've got some unique assets that you want um, certain of the next generation to get, it's it's a way to equalize the estate. So let's um, let's say life insurance could be used to keep a family business in the hands of the children who are actively in the business, mm-hmm. but provide a benefit to those that aren't. Yeah. So that the guys that are involved in the business get to keep the business, but you still leave some some similar assets through insurance to those that aren't. That's a creative idea because it's also leveraging dollars as well. So Correct. it's kind of combining those, those two reasons. That's right. And, and another application that we use probably more than that in our practice is, um, you know, for people that want to contribute significant assets to charity but also still leave an estate for future generations in a tax-efficient manner. Mm -hmm. So if you did things like charitable remainder trust to provide, to get some income tax benefits, some estate tax benefits, you could use life insurance to replace the assets for the heirs because the charity is going to get the corpus of the charitable trust. And it's also a good way uh, that could be used to replace qualified assets, IRAs, Mm -hmm. that you may leave to charity. So you leave the IRA to charity, and the kids could get income and uh, estate tax-free life insurance proceeds. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Great great ideas there. All right, this one could get a little contentious, although I think we (laughs) share a similar philosophy here. What do you think about using life insurance as an investment? Yeah, well, I mean, life insurance has some unique tax advantages. There's There's no question about it. And for this reason, you know, some people use life insurance as a means to accumulate wealth in a tax-sheltered environment, but due to the internal cost, the complexity, tax law risk, and and some other factors, I'm I'm just not a huge fan of using life insurance as a mechanism to build wealth. Again, at least for individuals, I think the three purposes that we identified earlier uh, are really the reasons to buy life insurance, not because it's a really good investment. Um, so I believe there are more effective ways to build wealth outside of a life insurance contract in our practice. I completely agree. A- absolutely. In, in your practice, how do you guys, how do you help clients decide the type of coverage? Um, this is another area that can be really complex because there's diff- it's very confusing. There's Correct. lots of different types. Yeah, and I and again, this is a place where you're going to find people that have different opinions. Very strong opinions, yeah. E- exactly. So, um, But there are many types of, of contracts, different types of, of life insurance. 
uh, and similar to investments, um, there's new types of contracts being developed every day. And so you can think about the insurance industry as being another product manufacturer. Uh, what I mean by this is they will create products that are marketable, that they think people will buy, whether it's good for the consumer or not. Uh, another, another, another story, another Charlie Munger <laughs> story uh, or, or analogy. So, a guy walks into a tackle shop, a you know fishing tackle. Yep, yep. And he looks at the fishing lures on the on the rack, and he sees these really exotic, colorful fishing lures on the on the wall. And he asks the guy by the counter, he says, "Do the fish like these lures?" And the clerk replies, "We don't sell to fish." <laughs> and so the moral of the story is, uh, you know, product manufacturers will create products that they can sell, of course, uh, whether they whether they work or, or not. Oh, so, boy. so you need you need a, an independent financial planner who's who's helping you get through all the nonsense. I, I, any way to simplify the complexity for the folks listening today? Yeah, I think so. In, t- in terms of the type, so there. I mean, I just I'll simplify this as best I can. Again, knowing that that I'm not an expert, but there are two primary types of coverage. I mean, there's term policies and there's permanent policies, and each of these have many variations, but these are the two broad categories, and I would simply start by evaluating the need. If the need is temporary, I would primarily look at a term policy, and if the need is permanent, I'd look at a permanent policy. I would completely agree, and I'd actually ask that you keep your own emotions, your own biases in, in check. I mean, these are these are tools. Correct. So, uh, you know, you could expand on that analogy, and, and you, you know, the, the, the fisherman can't look at some tools, some lures, and say, those are bad ones, and these are good ones. They're, they're just different tools. Different applications. Ca- exactly. There you go. So. So, yeah, yep, yep. And, and so when I talk about, you know, uh, temporary, uh, you know, some may wonder how could a goal to fund these long-term cash flow goals ever be temporary. Uh, but I think about it like this. I, t- I think about the typical client's goal is to accumulate enough wealth so that over time they're financially independent. So if you think about it, a life insurance pro- policy is really only needed – for the survivor needs at least, uh, until you accumulate enough wealth that you're self-insured with your assets. Mm -hmm. So as you build assets, you're eliminating the need for life insurance to provide income. So if you had a young married couple in their 20s or 30s, you know, they might consider a 30-year level term policy to buy, to buy them time until they can accumulate adequate assets and they no longer need the, the insurance. But the most important thing is not the type. The most important thing is the amount. Uh, so you've got to make sure you get the amount of coverage is primary, the type of coverage is secondary. And so term rates have come down a great deal, and having a personal level term policy can create the security and allow you to make some choices in the future so this young or, or middle-aged couple can get, can get significant coverage for a pretty low cost. But again, most importantly, they really need to use a high-rated carrier, a quality carrier, because you got to remember, this insurance company is making a 30-year promise to you. That's right. You're paying a premium. They're making a 30-year promise. And so you want to consider um, consider the quality of the carrier. Can they meet their promise? And secondly, you might consider a term policy that is convertible to permanent if your needs change or your health changes or you are not as successful in building wealth as you, mm-hmm. as you had hoped. But again, given rates today... Um, you know, you really only pay a small additional premium to get a really highly rated carrier, 
versus a mediocre carrier. Yeah, sure. That's a lot about term insurance, which is just one one type, one category. When would you consider a permanent policy and, and what type? Yeah, I mean, so, same idea. So you use term when the need is temporary, and you might consider permanent when the need is permanent. Or you want a death benefit that's guaranteed to pay at your death, even if your death is many, 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 many years down the road, or potentially if you want some additional benefits. But um, so, for instance, if you if you needed to provide liquidity, as we discussed before, to equalize an estate or to replace assets given to charity, a permanent policy may be your best solution because hopefully you're going to live a really long time, and you're going to want to replace those assets even, you know, thirty years or forty years down down the road. Yeah, two pretty well known types of permanent insurance: whole life, universal life. Those are those are types. Do you have a preference? Yeah, uh, I mean, it depends on it depends on the circumstance, but I, I think it'd be helpful if I just sort of define sure. those, at least in my way of thinking about them. So when you think about whole insurance, uh, whole life, this is the original traditional life insurance. I mean, this was the original insurance mm-hmm. with whole life contracts, and so whole life policies are issued by mutual insurance companies, and what that means is. When you buy a whole life policy, you're actually a shareholder of the insurance company. So you're you're, you're basically it's a mutual company. You're, it's like being a shareholder in the company. So every year the company collects premiums, they pay claims, they pay administrative costs, they invest the excess, and whatever is left, along with the earnings on the portfolio, is credited back to the policy owner in the form of dividends inside inside the policy. And so while they do have uh, better guarantees. Uh, they're not terribly transparent, meaning a policyholder really doesn't know what they paid for the pure insurance cost, the administrative cost, et cetera, and they also tend to be more expensive. Uh, so if a policyholder could afford the coverage, the better-run whole life companies have performed reasonably well if you look at the cash value buildup um, over the last 30 years or so, but we've also experienced a 30-year period where fixed income securities have done extremely well. Right. You know, we've had declining interest rate. And since most of the portfolio is invested in fixed income securities, they've had a tailwind. Yeah. So it's difficult for me to see how they would do as well in the future given expected returns on, on fixed income. Universal Life, which was developed in the, in the late 70s, um, it sort of combines the transparency of knowing what you pay for the pure cost of insurance and administrative cost with a side fund that pays a current market interest rate if it's a fixed interest contract or sub-accounts that are invested in mutual funds if it's a variable type policy. But but they're generally flexible premium, so you can vary your premium as long as you have adequate value in the policy to cover the monthly cost, the monthly insurance cost and the monthly administrative cost. So back when I first started, um, people referred to these as current interest contracts because they were paying a lot more because interest rates were high, they were paying a lot more than whole life policies. You don't hear them called current interest contracts anymore because interest rates are so low. Right. Um, but um, but uh, the, the key is that you have to adequately fund them. Mm-hmm. And so the flexible premium is wonderful, but you know you can make some mistakes not not adequately funding them. Sure. Right. So it's a, it can be a danger too. 
But in our practice, we don't really care about the cash value buildup. We're buying life insurance for the death benefit. And so when we look at universal life, we're generally looking at contracts that have guaranteed death benefit riders or at least that we're going to fund so at the guaranteed minimum interest rate and the guaranteed maximum mortality cost that they'll still last age 95 or 100 or so forth. Yeah, completely, completely agree there. How do you feel about the newer hybrid products that combine long-term care with the life insurance? Yeah, my, my thinking has evolved on this a huh. bit over the last couple of years. I, I used to hate them. <laughs> um, and again, back to this whole idea of um, the insurance industry creating products that people will buy. Uh, so I, I never was a big fan of combining the life insurance with, with long-term care. Um, so recently, my thinking has changed on that a little bit, and some of the products, I think, have been improved. Uh, so particularly for clients that have these old contracts that they no longer need for survivor needs, mm-hmm. converting them to a contract that pays a lifetime, I'm sorry, pays a long-term care benefit, I think is something to really consider, especially for that client that really, I can't get them to buy long-term care. Yeah. So if they've built up cash value in a older contract and they don't really need the survivor benefit anymore, it's really a, a good way to take those dollars and convert them to something that they do need Sure. Um, without them having to pay to pay premium. And, and if you want some portion um, of your insurance portfolio to be permanent, right? Um, for longer term needs, um, you know, I think I think it's okay to do double duty. Yeah. If you understand the contract and you understand the the cost. Yeah, I think they have a place as, as well. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. We talked about the the flashy lures and and so on. No, <laughs> I, I think they have a place. Yeah. This people with long term care insurance it provides a great benefit, but it's expensive. And some people look and say. I might not get anything out of that. And right. so combining it with the life insurance That's correct. can really be helpful. Anything new that you've seen on types of life insurance or types of insurance? Yeah, and this is and this is new that I've learned about and, and largely because I've, I was in this process. Um, so something that's come about in the last couple of years is a new type of sort of interactive life insurance that rewards uh, the policyholder for maintaining, or I'm sorry, the insured for maintaining a healthy lifestyle. I know John Hancock just announced that they would add this feature to all their all their policies. Essentially, you can get reduced premiums if you're willing to report your health statistics on an ongoing basis to the insurer and if you meet certain benchmarks. Oh, my goodness. That's a little – that's scary. Yeah, that's big brother, isn't it? <laughs> I know there are certain people that would be very will be very concerned about the insurance company knowing your ongoing health. So you can't lose your coverage, Yeah. Uh, but you can get some additional benefits. And obviously, if, you, if you're the type of person that doesn't want to share your information, you would never – consider these. Uh, But I did write a a blog post about this uh, for the October blog, um, and it was called, Do You Need a Nudge to Live a Longer, Healthier Life and Cut Your Life Insurance Premium? And and, um, it talks about these new types of contracts. And if the audience would like to hear more about that, they can check it out on our webpage at tandemgrowth.com forward slash blog. And actually, I decided to use one of these policies uh, for this additional term insurance that I bought. Uh, because I wanted a nudge. I wanted yeah. to, uh, and again, I, I did a type of contract that had guarantees. Yep. So if I don't live a healthy lifestyle, my premium will not go up. Mm-hmm. But if I live a healthy lifestyle and I report some data periodically, it could give me a, a discount. So it just motivates me to continue to monitor my health and and do those kind of things. I I personally I I personally love it. But but I'm assuming you may address this in in the blog, Jeff. But I mean, ultimately. 
if you're going into that type of policy, you don't want to go in with the expectation, hey, I'm going to completely change my life. Now, if it provides that leadership and that direction and that works out, wonderful, and you should be rewarded with lower premiums. But don't, I, I would assume you wouldn't want to buy it with that hope in mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, and if you think about the quality of the carriers, too, I mean, you, you want to be insured by carriers who are insuring people that qualify. Absolutely. Because you want the insurer to be around. Yeah. I, I remember you know 30 years ago when they started doing you know blood tests and all this for even smaller contracts you know because of HIV yeah and you know people were upset they had to do blood tests and I, I would say well you don't really want to be insured by a company that's not evaluating their risk because they may not be around yeah, that's right so that's right. You'll, you'll at least be in a pool of people that are paying attention to their health perhaps yeah yeah well we went deep pretty fast <laughs> that was a lot of information any any final thoughts there jeff yeah I, I just go back to my collaboration so as i mentioned um you know collaborating with high quality insurance professionals can be really important and especially if you're using one of these permanent policies that are flexible premium as you have changing interest rates uh, so it's important to monitor the policies mm-hmm. um, to ensure they're performing on a regular basis and gonna you know last long enough to, to pay a claim uh, so reviewing the annual statement and if the policies are older doing you know doing what's called a policy audit mm-hmm. with either your plan your financial planner or insurance professional would be really helpful oh I, I definitely say doing it with your financial planner so you can see exactly and know have the confidence that your your risk management fits perfectly and in sync with your overall financial financial life. So wonderful, wonderful stuff, Jeff. There you have it. Episode 10 is in the books. Another episode of the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier. Hope you found today's discussion helpful. And if you did, and you're looking for more content, you want to check out previous episodes or Jeff's blog, head over to tandemgrowth.com slash perspectives. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier a show dedicated to help you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions for Jeff or Mike or comments on the show, feel free to reach out to us at tandemgrowth.com or you can find us on the web at www.tandemgrowth.com. Jeff Bernier is the President and Chief Investment Officer at Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. This show is a production of Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC. All information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Listeners should not rely on the content of this podcast as the basis for any investment decisions. A professional advisor should be consulted, and or independent due diligence should be conducted before implementing anything discussed in this show. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not guarantee its accuracy, and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information prepared by any unaffiliated third party, such as guests on the podcast, and takes no responsibility for the same.